Our next speaker is going to be unpacking a very important question. What's required to make nurses safe? Our next guest is Mary Chiarella. She's a professor of nursing at the University of Sydney. In 2003 to 4, she was the chief nursing officer of the New South Wales Health Department, and before that was the foundation president, uh, professor of nursing in corrections health. And she's worked internationally for the WHO, and she currently chairs the Healthcare Quality Committee for Northern Sydney Local Health District. So please give a standing ovation to Mary Chiarella. <laughs> Come up, Mary. Thanks, Sophie. After you. Thank you. Thank you. God, I love the standing ovation bit. It's really cool. It, gives me, it goes to my head. Thank you very much. Um, I, I'm so happy to be here. It's like old home week for me. It really is. And it's just wonderful to be back uh, amongst you all. I've, I've been uh, sort of working at, at federal level for a while, but I've also been doing this research, which is pretty dry after what we've had this morning. But luckily, I can talk about it under wet concrete. So you don't have to worry. I'll be enthusiastic about it, even if you're not. And now, where are my slides? Ha ha, push. OK. So it's, it's a bit of a long title. Really, I'll, I'll just take it one step further. It was, so this was some research that was actually funded through the National Council of State Boards of Nursing in the US. But we couldn't have done it without the Nursing and Midwifery Council of New South Wales. They gave us access to their data, and we interviewed loads and loads of people as well. And so basically, it was a huge study, and I'm only going to talk about one bit of it. So we wanted to look at any relationship between CPD. Really interesting what Don and Co were saying this morning about the CPD. Um, we wanted to look at whether remediation provides any guarantee of performance. We wanted to look at awareness, insight, and competence to practice. And the bit that I'm going to talk to you about today is this notion about the characteristics of insight. Because this study kind of came out of two other studies. I can't read that over there. That's really sad. I should have put my specs on. But luckily, I brought my slides. So basically, what we wanted to do was we looked at this research which was all, it's health professional regulatory research. And as you know, that's very much about protection of the public. Um, that's what it is. It's a protective jurisdiction. And WHO, ICN, everybody agrees, that's what we do. We do it to protect the public. And it's achieved in most countries by this combination of processes. We decide basically who comes in through accreditation and setting standards for registration. We then provide advice and guidance to people codes, those sorts of things, and I know Brett's going to talk about those a bit. We talk about mechanisms to protect the public through complaints and notifications, and that's just a model that Jill White and I put together, and you're welcome to these slides afterwards, by the way, in about 2000, 2013, I think, sort of putting together those elements of regulation. But the research comes from two studies. We're going to look at complaints, performance complaints particularly, and Amanda Adrian and I did a study where we reviewed, well, in fact, I reviewed 20 years of complaints and, and case studies that went to tribunals and PSCs in New South Wales. And one of the things that we noticed with that research was that basically people got struck off or left on the register because they demonstrated insight. And so I was really interested about that. So we researched it, and there wasn't a lot written about what insight actually was. So what we wanted to do was actually look at the meaning of insight after this first piece of research. 
We then did a second piece of research for the New Zealand Nursing Council, and we did a review of their Competence Assurance Act, which is their regulation, like our big uh, health practitioner regulatory law. And one of the things that came out of that study was that New Zealand nurses totally felt that if they kept up their CPD, if they kept up their recency of practice, if they measured themselves against their competency standards or standards for practice each year and reviewed that, then actually they were meeting competence. And so we got to the end of all of this research. And by the way, Rachel Vernon for her PhD, and I supervised her PhD, she did another study as well looking at this huge Delphi study of international regulators. They all agreed that those were the things you needed to do to be competent. And I kept thinking, well, if that's the case, then nobody should ever come before a board for a competence or a performance complaint because we're all competent. So why would we ever end up having a complaint about competence? So my view was there was, or mine and Rachel's view, was there was this missing thread. And this missing thread, we think, is this concept of insight. So part of this study was actually to look at what insight meant. And so that was where we went. So what we felt was that if you were aware you were competent, then you were safe. If you were aware you were incompetent, then you were actually safe. If you were unaware you were competent, eh, you might not be safe. And certainly if you were unaware you were incompetent, you were definitely not safe, right? We're all agreed on that one. And so then we took it one bit further and we said, well, what does safety mean then? So we then said, well, look, really, if you're aware you're competent, then you're definitely safe. If you're aware you're incompetent, actually, you're potentially safe. But then we thought, if you're unaware you're competent, come back to that full scope stuff we've been talking about this morning, you're potentially unsafe because you might not practice to full scope because you don't have the confidence in your competence. And then, obviously, if you're unaware you're incompetent, you're not safe. Easy peasy. So what we did was we... We, decided, we started off looking at tribunal and PSC decisions that talked about insight, but they were pretty gross. It was kind of easy to recognize who did and didn't have insight by the time they got to a tribunal. So what we asked the Nursing and Midwifery Council of New South Wales to do was to have a look at their performance complaints that did not go to PSC or tribunal. In other words, those complaints that were managed by the Nursing and Midwifery Council or basically were actually overturned. So we wanted to know basically what happened. I, you have no idea about the confidentiality agreement. It was unbelievable. I got locked in a room for three months, twice a week. And they basically gave me this USB that they used to check on the way out to make sure I had no names on it. Confidentiality was very, very strict. But basically, we got five years of performance competence files that did not go to PSC or tribunal. 978 complaint files, and I read every single one. And we hand-searched them, and then we cross-referenced them against an Excel database to filter out performance complaints that had anything to do with either a health or a conduct matter, because we actually just wanted to look at competence. So we ended up with about 712 complaints. 
We de-identified the data and we aggregated them for date of birth, year of complaint, work area, focus facts, decision and outcome. And you can see the age distribution of those complaints looks very much like us. So there wasn't anything spectacular about who got complained about. That looks about like our demographic as a profession. So that wasn't overexciting. There were three, sorry, there was one over 80, which was interesting. And, and the notifications by top place of work, aged care, mental health, midwifery maternity services, and emergency department. Now remember, these are complaints that did not go to PSC or tribunal. So these are really minor complaints, but still big numbers. So in aged care, basically, the highest number of performance complaints were made against RNs and ENs working in residential aged care. And those complaints were very high in comparison to the numbers of nurses working in aged care, percentage-wise. And of course, not all jurisdictions even have the requirement for an RN to be on duty at all times, and which we did have once upon a time in New South Wales. Um, the focus was mainly medication errors, poor clinical care, neglect by management or poor admin of the facility, poor communication, poor documentation. But remember that many of these complaints are managed by performance assessment. So these are performance complaints alone. And another process was to refer them to the Aged Care Complaints Commissioner. Mental health, highest number of complaints made against nurses working in mental health, sorry, second highest number, settings ranging from PICUs to community mental health. And the focus, basically most complaints either related to a misdiagnosis or a breach of confidentiality. Midwifery and maternity services, third highest. Um, most of the practitioners held dual registration. And the focus of the complaints, allegations of rudeness and unkindness, but notice that many of these were not pursued. And what we found when we looked at these were often these were also difficult births and people were very unhappy about the births. And poor performance. And often these were related to fetal death or stillbirth and inadequate monitoring. And the ED, fourth highest area, focus of complaints, incorrect triage, failure to recognize determination, medication errors, poor communication. So very much the same sorts of performance areas across. But what we wanted to do was actually find out which of these talked about um, insight, because that was what we were really interested in. And so we chose specifically from the documentation excerpts that talked about whether a practitioner demonstrated or didn't demonstrate insight. And then we went into those to look what they looked like. And the recurrent features basically were then documented and themed. Now, one of the things that was really interesting for us was that we ended up with this kind of perfect experiment, really, a natural laboratory, because the literature that there is on insight says that insight is strongly related to reflection. So we were thinking, okay, well, we'll see if the people who have insight reflect. But actually, the NMC requires every practitioner who has a performance complaint to do a self-reflection blog. So they all had to reflect. So that was very wondrous, because then we could see if they all reflected, did they all have insight? Well, you know the answer is going to be that they didn't. So insight is more than reflection. And you, we just couldn't have predicted some of the answers, but those who answered well and those who did not, 
basically those positive and negative responses confirm the same elements, either by their presence or their absence. So what we did was we selected these data, we kept them in a separate folder, and they came from a whole range of areas. Minutes, reviews, reports, letters from practitioners sometimes, letters to practitioners, excerpts from their logs, collated histories. And as I say, this, this one particular letter was so good that actually it didn't go any further at all. The practitioner wrote in to respond to the complaint. They were so impressed with her level of insight, that was the end of it. It wasn't even investigated. We got 148 excerpts from that. And so these are the key elements that we distilled that related to actually indicating insight. That they own the incident, that they take responsibility for it. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, this happened. You know, and, and I accept that's how it happened that they would reflect and analyze the incident, that they'd reflect and analyze on where they were on that day, what they were thinking, what they were doing. And, and these very much are led by their self-reflection blog. It asks them these questions. Analysis of the context in which the incident occurred, recognition of their own failures or mistakes, expressions of remorse, sorrow, or regret. You would think this is exactly what the Nurses Association would tell you to do, isn't it? Well, they don't necessarily do it. Just because this might be the advice doesn't mean it's what happens. Making an effort to improve oneself, thinking about what you do differently next time, and seeking out some sort of counselling or mentorship. And I'll just give you a few examples from these. Two RNs involved in an incident where a patient was administered oral dose of ordine, which was 10 times the dose. Both failed to follow the requirements for medication handling. The RN, who was the second person, basically were said as follows... As the second checker of an S8 dose, she is responsible to ensure the dose of medication is correct, calculations are correct, and it's her responsibility to ensure that a wrong dose is not administered. She accepts responsibility, fully understands the gravity of the error. They didn't even get her in. Right? Absolutely fine. The other RN said, first checker, not my responsibility. The other one made the mistake. She came in. Surprise, surprise, right? But, you know, it was just really interesting because you would have thought that was such an obvious thing to just go, yeah, sure, should have done it, something happened, went wrong. But one of them did, the other didn't. Reflection analysis. This is, this is the nurse, by the way, I'll give you the whole quote, who wrote the letter. And she wasn't even seen. Preceding the shift, I'd experienced an extended period of stress, unrelated to work, for which I had not acknowledged as a problem or taken action to address. My emotional state of behavior have been unpredictable and erratic. I won't read you through the whole thing, but she says my emotional... So what she did was she omitted to do observations because she was fed up that she'd been told to do observations she didn't think she needed to do. And she goes, look, I was really grumpy with them. I didn't do them. Okay. I'm really sorry, you know, but actually this was about my own anger. They didn't even ask her in. They were really happy with her recognition that she was in this place at that time, you know... They were so interesting, these. Recognition of own, own failures or mistakes. He thought about what went wrong. He thought part of the problem was he was pretty self-conscious and concerned about people's perceptions of him. He believed it affects his ability to perform when he's watched. Wasn't that what someone said this morning? Donovan, I think, talked very much about that being under supervision. He should have asked for help with his workload and voiced his concerns. Sorrow, remorse, regret... Again, I've reflected regularly and since never had a day off 
of not feeling regret and work to ensure the integrity of nursing practice will not be compromised. Thinking about and describing what you do differently next time, well, she was going to ensure she continues to practice at the level required of a registered nurse in the acute adult mental health team. And then the elements raising concern over lack of insight, when they didn't seem to understand what the actual issue was, when they made no attempt to change or did not act on feedback, when they blamed other people for the error or incident but took no personal responsibility, when they made excuses for why it occurred, other, rather than constructively analysing. I want to be really clear here. Workload was regularly an issue, and if it were genuinely an issue, it was accepted as an issue by the NMC. So it wasn't that if you said, I was overworked, that was seen as an excuse. That's not what it was like at all. But these were people... You'll see, anyway. I'll, I'll stop. I'll show you. <coughs> and where the practitioner was non-compliant with improvement strategies... So where they didn't seem to understand this was a registered midwife, when asked about her future plans, she advised her preference was to return to a group practice model and that she preferred to work with women who have normal births. <laughs> she indicated she was interested in working with women who, is who have normal births but appears to have failed to recognise this requires her to be able to identify deviations from normal and to escalate appropriately. Where they blamed other people I've known the reporting RN most of my life, and she doesn't like me. Um, where they were non-compliant. This EEM was given the medication administration learning package, and four weeks later, she still hadn't done it. Resources were also made available. Discussion was that she indicated what she was comfortable to occur. But four weeks later, she asked for a two-day extension, and after two days, she still hadn't done it. So how do we develop and recognise insight? Well, as I've said, it's often cited as a key reason why people are considered safe to remain on the register or, in its absence, unsafe to remain on the register. And this lack of clarity about how it might manifest bothers me as someone who's worked in regulation for years. You can't do it if you don't know what it looks like. You know, if, if you haven't got a description of it, how do you know if you're demonstrating insight? If, if insight is about safe practice, how do we actually identify insight when we're practicing? So having language to describe behaviours and attitudes enables us to actually be able to give registrants information about what insight looks like so that they can practice insight. And so it provides identifiable criteria also for performance assessors because one of the other parts of this study is actually looking at performance assessment and concerns about inter-rater reliability. When you've got two assessors, how do you know that they're both looking at the same thing? If you get a performance report that says this nurse didn't demonstrate insight, if you don't know what insight looks like, how do you know she did or she didn't? You know, it's, it's, it becomes a bit elusive, doesn't it? We, by the way, the, the, the major report we've called Insight the Holy Grail. So, <clears throat> we felt a bit like that. Um, so basically, we felt that taking some sort of a proactive educational approach to developing insight seems preferable to using it as a way to screen practitioners in or out of the profession. You know, if we can actually get this stuff up front, 
It makes a huge difference. So, what we know is that reflection alone does not constitute reassurance about insight, that certainly that regulators are seeking. So reflection was mandated in this study through this requirement to do the self-reflection logs. And that requirement, as I say, provided for us this natural laboratory, which enabled us to actually identify that there was a physical as well as a cerebral element necessary. So the insight required by regulators is comprised of reflection, yes, plus some ownership of the registrant's role in the issue, regardless of what that might be, plus some action. And that action might be demonstration of lessons learned through a discussion or how the registrant might respond should such an incident occur again. And it, it, should it relate to a performance deficit, perhaps poor aseptic technique, medication errors, then the action might relate to doing some learning. <clears throat> Behaviours indicating a lack of insight basically were reflection minus ownership and minus any action. And many of the concerns about lack of insight manifested because the registrant didn't follow up on a learning opportunity or determined that they would change their behaviour in any way. So basically what we did with this, this tiny bit of the study and it's a it's a huge study there are those early bits that i talked about we have lots more data there but i only had a short while and i thought you might like to ask questions um, so basically it's provided examples from written reports to highlight behaviors post-reflection that indicate the presence or absence of insight that is sufficient to inform a regulatory authority that a person either poses or does not pose a threat to public safety. And that's basically the job of the regulator, is to protect the public. So there are lots of other reasons why you might be looking for insight, but not if you're a regulator. Interestingly, those cases where there was a lack of insight demonstrated through those various pieces of information, those nurses were then referred back to the complaints committee for review after this process. So we think, we hope, that highlighting these behaviours in cues will provide greater understanding of what can and does lead to error. And we hope that that might, in turn, enable nurses to develop a heightened awareness of their responsibility, leading to this greater insight prior to an error. Thank you very much. Very happy to... Oh, I forgot this slide. Sorry, this is my favourite slide. So this is Harry Caton. Sorry, guys. He says, regulation touches the point between the public and the personal. Overregulation is seen as an interference into personal conduct. Underregulation is seen as an abdication of personal responsibility. When harm happens, we blame ineffective regulation. But when we are stopped from doing something, we say regulation is excessive. The public, media, and politicians often face both ways, wanting more or less regulation depending on the moment or the mood. Thank you. And thank you very much, Mary. What an inspiring talk. And focusing on excellence is just as important as focusing on mistakes. So thank you very much.